in today's show. We're talking 2022 NBA draft, but we're looking at it from a dynasty fantasy basketball perspective. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. Just a quick favor I have for you. We've got a survey at the Locked On Podcast Network. It's a chance to make this show and other shows better than ever. So if you head to lockedonpodcasts.com slash survey, you can take that survey, get started. It won't take long. And also, if you do it, you're in the running to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. So take the audience survey, go to lockedonpodcasts.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. Thanks also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Here we are, ready to talk more NBA draft stuff. Yesterday, spoke with uh, Mark Schindler about uh, six different prospects. Um, if you are here on YouTube, I did put those prospect little breakdowns into separate videos as well. For some reason, YouTube's not really promoting those on, on the algorithm or people aren't clicking on those little mini videos, but there are like little three to five minute videos on prospects as well. And you'll see a playlist over there on the YouTube channel of uh, prospect profiles. So if you want to check out an individual player, we've got little clips of those guys. Today, I'm going to be joined by Matt Lawson. You may have seen him on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. Probably the number one guy, I'd say, in Dynasty Fantasy Basketball creating tons of content, the co-founder of the uh, FBI Fantasy Basketball Leagues, which are Dynasty and Redraft Leagues. We've spoken about that on the show plenty of times. Him and Brendan um, beat up plenty of times on the show about their redraft, their Fantasy Basketball World Cup, and all their Dynasty Leagues. Matt is deep into Dynasty Basketball, Fantasy Basketball, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Talk about processes, talk about um, the top rookies uh, for Dynasty perspectives, talk about a bunch of stuff regarding this class and their prospects for fantasy basketball. So, might as well get him in. Here he is, the big fella. Matt Lawson is back on the show. Matt, last time we tried to get you on the show, we had massive technical difficulties. It was a great show. People just didn't get to see it. But you're here. Fingers crossed there's no technical. I'm just checking, make sure the record button is working. We're all good to go. We are here. You are on the show. Welcome. You know, everyone missed out uh, because we dropped all of the dynasty sleepers. Uh, <laughs> everyone would have won their leagues, uh, and it just didn't record. So, yeah. sorry, everyone. We'll get it right this time. It was a it was a great video, actually. But this yeah, we, we went for like an hour, and nothing was recording. So we just uh, we chucked in the towel. But you're here. You're back now. Before we get to talk about this 2022 NBA draft, for people who don't know you, um, I've referenced your name on this show so many times. B Dub's been on this show plenty of times as well. But who who are you? What do you do? What what's your what's your plan? in the uh, fantasy basketball, dynasty fantasy basketball industry or space? 
Yeah, so one of the main things that I do uh, is that I'm one of the co-founders of Fantasy Basketball International, which is a uh, large Discord community for fantasy basketball enthusiasts. Uh, so there's a lot of fantasy basketball discussion. We host a lot of redraft and dynasty leagues uh, on our Discord server and just kind of being a home for people who are really into fantasy basketball. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I also have a lot of dynasty content that I'm Putting out over the last couple of years. It started by doing Dynasty ADP, something that I found did not exist uh, in the marketplace. So that's average draft position for Dynasty League. So people can have a sense of how the market is valuing different players in Dynasty and fantasy basketball. Uh, it gives you a great idea to be able to know how much to value a player in a trade um, and where players can be valued in something like rookie drafts, uh, which we're starting to uh, get ready for this offseason. So all of that content can be found on my Twitter profile. That's at NBA Dynasty ADP. And you can find a link there in my profile to all my different resources, including dynasty rankings for categories, leagues, points, leagues, breakdowns of the 2021 rookie class. And with a re-rank of those rookies going forward in dynasty, um, along with my 2022 rookie rankings, uh, which I've put out recently and I'm continuing to refine as we get closer to the draft later this month. Yeah, I'm not putting my dynasty rookie rankings out just yet, but I am working on, on ways to get them there because there's n numerous things. To, and we're going to talk about this a bit later on the show. There's numerous things to consider. It's your know, pedigree of the player and how much an organization has invested into them. It's the age of the player, like how much room do they have to grow. It's their fantasy skill set and trying to mesh all that stuff together is pretty tough. And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on, but I do encourage you to go and follow Matt over on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. Check the Dynasty ranks. Check the Dynasty the ADP stuff, which is really, really interesting. As you'll see that over the next couple of months start to develop as well with the new guys coming in. It is really intriguing to see that sort of thing. Before we get in and talk a little bit about this class, though, I might as well get this out of the way now and, and talk about Rock Auto because Matt, do you know how to fix your own car or are you stupid like me? Uh, no, I just live in spreadsheets all day, so I have no idea how to fix my car. Sounds like me. But if you do know what you're doing, tinkering around in your automobile, why would you bother going to a local chain auto parts store? or to a dealership to buy parts? The answer is you wouldn't and you shouldn't because Rock Auto has all of those parts available for your car or, or, or truck, but they've got them at a much cheaper price. They have whatever you can think of, whether that's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet. Why would you spend 30, 50, 100% more for those same parts? Rock Auto is an online family business who have been serving auto parts customers for over 20 years. So head to rockauto.com and check out everything that's available for your car or truck and in there. How did you hear about us, Box? Right, locked on. So that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, first question off the bat here. Um... It's a tough one, and I don't really know the right answer, but I want to hear your process because we're going through and we're trying to project these rookies out without knowing their teammates or just to get a general dynasty perspective on them. What do you do with Shaden Sharp? This is probably the hardest projection that both dynasty managers and the NBA has had to make in years. Uh, Shaden Sharp is the first player um, that has neither a collegiate or professional uh, statistical profile or game tape to be able to watch since, I believe, Bon McCurr. Yep. Uh, so we're, we're going back quite a ways before teams had to just be looking at high school footage to be able to assess an NBA lottery prospect. 
But with Sharp, the last thing that we really have from him, the only thing that we really have from him, is about a 12-game sample size from the Nike NYYBL circuit uh, from July 2021. So about a year ago, and Sharp was electric. I mean, this moved him to the top of his high school class. He eventually reclassified after that to go to Kentucky. He never played at Kentucky. He barely even practiced at Kentucky. And now NBA teams are getting to see him at a pro day where, you know, he's kind of working at half speed. He's not playing against anyone else. And it's unclear if he's going to be even be doing individualized workouts where he's going to be competing against other prospects. So this is very much a mystery box prospect. But if you look at that 12-game sample size from Shaden Sharp, what you see is a player who lives up to the scouting report of being a dynamic scorer, who can shoot off of the dribble, who can dunk on anyone with with some dunk contest athleticism and an ability to be able to hit step back threes, be able to get to his spot wherever he needs to, because he's got an NBA frame. I mean, the kid is six, six with a plus six and a, or six, five with a plus six and a half wingspan. So a six eleven wingspan, uh, this is exactly what the NBA is looking for in a wing prospect, especially with this ability to shoot off of the dribble. My concern is this, that stat profile, even if it's a small sample size shows a 64% free throw percentage. Yeah. Now it's only 52 attempts, but that's enough to be able to be a red flag to say, okay, can this guy shoot free throws? He can shoot threes, so maybe he can, but we don't know yet. There wasn't a lot of defensive stats to see in the profile, the rebound rate and assist rates were mediocre. And you kind of wonder, am I really going to spend a premium rookie draft pick on a player and NBA teams have to wonder, am I going to spend a top seven pick on a player who might just be a scorer? And we haven't even seen him score against NBA level or even high level college competition before. That free throw thing was something that, yes, that was that 60 or whatever it was at EYBL, but also in some of his other numbers, which again, there's hardly any numbers there, but he played FIBA under 16s and shot 50 or 60% from the line there as well. So it's not, it, well, it was 52 attempts, so that's 12 games, but then the six games he played under 16s, it was 60%. So I think at this point, it's fair to say he's not a good free throw shooter. He might be a bad free throw shooter. And how does that translate across? Now, of course, when we look at those under 16 numbers, he shot 68% from the field, which has no chance of being real whatsoever. But you know, when all that's, like, that's 18 games worth of samples we've got in a high level for his age group type competition where the free throws haven't gone in. And that is somewhat some, somewhat of a worry. He did average quite a few steals at, at times in some of these contests as well, but he is a really tough one. So I'm trying to use a mix of EYBL, of this FIBA stuff, of just the, the, a player archetype in terms of trying to figure out where he sits. At the moment in my dynasty rankings, I've got him at number seven. Where have you got him? Yeah, so I've rotated him around that range as well, 6th, 7th, uh, because I think what's important to remember here is something that we've seen across a lot of similar wing prospects, whether it's Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brown, when players like this have elite athleticism and that prototypical NBA frame where they're like 6'6", six, six, you know, with great wingspan, those guys, when they're taken high in a draft, the NBA is telling us that the ceiling on that player is much higher than the production we've seen so far. So if Shaden Sharp is going to go in the top seven of this draft, the top eight, and the team is willing to invest in him as a cornerstone foundational player for their future, that should tell you that their front office has determined that this kid does have star upside. Even with all of the red flags of not playing in college, not having much game tape, um, if they make that decision, then we should be looking at Sharp 
as that really high ceiling fantasy player, even if he hasn't shown the fantasy skill set yet, it could develop very quickly as it did for Anthony Edwards or Jalen Brown uh, once they got into the NBA. Yeah, exactly. And out of the guys that are projected top 10 in the draft, he has the worst, for me at this point, fantasy translation, but... It doesn't mean I'm taking him 10th because of that that upside play on those style of players. It might do absolutely nothing. Shout out to Ben McLemore. But it could tend, turn out into Anthony Edwards. So yeah, that, that's where I've got him at the moment. But it's a tough one. It is really like for NBA teams. It's a real sort of stab in the dark to see how this translates across. The next question that I have for you, I ask you these questions because these are things that I grapple with as well. How do we treat the guys who when we translate all their numbers, whether they're European numbers or G League numbers or college numbers, how do we treat the guys who come through and the numbers look crazy? They're like massive, high, permanent production numbers, but yeah, there might be a player who's not going to get those big minutes in a NBA setting. The number one guy to me that stands out when I'm discussing this to give reference is someone like a Walker Kessler, who's fantasy translation numbers are unbelievable. Like They're absolutely through the roof with these really high blocks and good field goal percentage, good rebounds, which is all great for fantasy. Decent steal numbers as well. Um, but is the bloke going to be able to play more than 17 minutes a night? Like how do you, you deal that? Well, if he gets the minutes, he'll be like a top five fantasy player out of this class. But yeah, there's a 2% chance of him getting the minutes. How do you try and work that into your dynasty rookie projections when the numbers are so good on that per minute basis, but getting to those numbers is almost impossible. Yeah, I think this has become an issue in dynasty rookie drafts in recent years. Mm-hmm. I think immediately of Goga Batadze in the 2019 draft, where in rookie drafts, because the fantasy stat set was so alluring, uh, people jumped on him pretty early. I saw him going to the top 12 in a lot of rookie drafts, so above his draft slot. And here we are a few years later, and we're still kind of waiting for Goga to be able to get those kinds of big minutes. Uh, it's happened when he's absolutely had to play, but otherwise he's been in and out of the rotation. And it never it doesn't necessarily feel like he's ever going to reach the point where he becomes a big minute starting center. And most of these centers who are going to go in the second half of the first round are not being drafted with the idea that they're going to become necessarily 30 plus minute starting centers, because that's not the way that NBA, the NBA is necessarily viewing centers anymore. They'd rather have a rotation with multiple centers and it's rare to be able to find someone who can hold up defensively across a 30-plus minute role. So when I see guys like this, you know, last year Isaiah Jackson was was a great candidate as a per-minute guy who showed a ton of ability. We saw it late in the season with Indiana. Uh, Alper and Shangun obviously going just outside of the lottery with an amazing fantasy stat set. Shangun probably got the most minutes of any of the six bigs who went in the second half of the first round last year, and almost none of the other ones got any kind of role in the rookie seasons. But if Dayron Sharp all of a sudden got huge minutes for the Nets. He would be a really interesting fantasy player. So these are guys that if I'm in a 12-team dynasty league and I'm in the second round of that draft, I'm willing to take some of these players a little bit higher than their draft slot because if it does hit, it will be so big for you in fantasy production. It's very easy for a center if they get 30 minutes to be be a top 100 player or better. Uh, So I'm not going to be spending premium picks unless I think a 
center actually has some unique offensive abilities that are going to keep them on the court, or they're such a good switchable big that they're going to be able to stay on the floor for big minutes. And this year, that that really causes some problems because Walker Kessler, like you said, has an amazing block rate. I don't see him being taken in the lottery, and he might not even be taken in the teens because he's probably a little too slow-footed to be able to be more than just kind of a rotation big as opposed to a big minute starter. But then you have guys like Mark Williams and Jalen Duran who do probably project as a larger minute starter if they do end up in the right landing spot. You know, we, we, we always talk about, you know, if the Charlotte Hornets finally took a center, then we could have something really special there in fantasy. So landing spot is critical for bigs. You need to be able to understand where they're going to fit into the rotation, if they're going to get minutes early on, because a lot of fantasy production from bigs does come early in their career when they are at their peak abilities as far as blocks uh, and, and rebounds, which can often be athleticism based. It's one of those things that's important. You say that about them being young. The prevailing, I'm going to say wisdom, but it's not wisdom because it's anti-wisdom, is people always say, ah, oh, bigs, they just need time to develop. You just got to give bigs, yeah, three, four years. That's bullshit because by the time they hit like 28 and the athletic gifts are gone, then they're cooked. A lot of the time, yeah, you see those guys peak. Even like Clint Capella, what's he, 29? He's already dropped off significantly over the last couple of years. Yeah, DeAndre Jordan is just nothing as an NBA player. Bigs often impact things, especially for fantasy early on and it does tend to, to drop away like and it is something we need to be careful of because if we're just looking at straight fantasy stat translations from college like walker kessler is the number one guy basically because of that insane block rate and field goals and rebounds and all that sort of stuff but you're never going to take him in that area so you're getting context behind those sort of players and role and, and where they're going to fit of course you've always got the opposite side of things here as well matt is it like jared allen was taken in the 20s he had a pretty interesting fantasy skill set as well. Um, and now he is getting 30 minutes a night and being a really valuable player. So it does happen. And I think the thing we need to look at here as well is it's a tough one to balance because we'll say like, okay, these guys who were taken in the 20s, um, you know, they're not as invested with their team. But with the way that teams are heading and thinking about the draft is that there's not going to be many centers who were taken uh, particularly highly so a lot of these guys who do become starters will end up being taken in the 20s because of the i guess fungibility of that position and the the way that we can get other guys in other spots they're not a draft priority but the guys who are taken the 20 24 25 in that sort of area they will still be looked at hey maybe you can be a 26 minute starter and be a guy that maybe develops into capella gobert jared allen in the future, but we've got to like, where's that balance between you weren't picked high enough, but now you picked pick 15 might be super high for a center in the next year or two. And we've got to consider that as almost like the equivalent of a top six or top seven pick. Do you think about that at all? Absolutely. And it, you know, for anyone out there who plays uh, fantasy football, this is extremely similar to what's happened with the running back position, uh, where these used to be players, running backs, prospects who would go at the top of the NFL draft, just like centers, you know, you know, traditional big men would go at the top of the NBA draft. And we've all had to adjust in fantasy to a position being devalued in real life, but still being extremely valuable in fantasy. And we, we still need centers and we need to be able to find them in dynasty leagues. And often, you know, unless they're some of the guys that you're seeing going at the top 
of the draft because they're that unicorn big who has incredible offensive ability, def- defensive ability, the total package. Otherwise, they're getting devalued outside of the lottery. Almost no one is taking you know your traditional big man inside of the lottery anymore because NBA franchises have gotten smarter. They've understood that these are fungible assets. They don't have to spend high value picks on them. Uh, but for me, that's why landing spot becomes so important because someone like Jared Allen got opportunity early on in a Nets team that was prioritizing at that time young players. And he got to be able to play and assert himself, develop and learn. But when a lot of these bigs get taken at the back end of the first round, the issue is that they can end up on teams that are not going to have rooms in the rotation for them because they are often better teams. Uh, so landing spot you know, can be crucial there. They're not going to end up getting to develop if they're on a team that is, has ambitions of making the playoffs right away because usually a rookie big is going to be pretty poor defensively. So I, I think as we're watching some of the guys in this class, so the Christian Colocos, the Ishmael Kamigates, um, you know, the the Walker Kesslers, to be able to see where they land in this order is going to be really crucial. And, you know, we do have teams in the back end of this first round in the early second round that do have openings in the rotation for centers and those landing spots could be crucial. Before we get on to the next thing, I'm going to tell you guys about our partners at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Game one of the finals is just around the corner. The Golden State Warriors are three and a half point favorites. Matt, do you think that they will cover that in game one? I do. I, I think Golden State is going to come out uh, really strong in game one. They usually do. I tend to agree. I think they'll cover that. And if you want all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including the playoffs, Major League Baseball, the NHL playoffs, fights, and even NFL futures, head to Bet Online. It's your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay. Next question. I don't know what it actually is, so let me just have a quick look before I get into that. Here we go. Um, is this class better, do you think, for Dynasty? Not for real-life perspective, because I don't think it's as good as 2021. Um, is it better, do you think, from a Dynasty perspective than 2021 or 2020? Because at this early stage of really getting into before the draft, before Summer League, I tend to think that it might be. Because in a lot of these past years, is that a lot of the top guys, um, their fantasy stat projections haven't been great. But these guys... Most of the top, especially the top, top guys, they all translate really, really pretty well coming across. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And I've actually t- gone, taken the time to go back with uh, my fantasy projection uh, methodology to go through the last decade of NBA draft lotteries to compare it against this class, uh, not only to get an idea of how good this class is, but to be able to have a good comparison for how the stat sets that we see in this class will project into the future. And this is a good class. And it's a good class for exactly the reason that you said. The top three, especially, of this draft is special. Uh, and it's because we rarely get three uh you know, big prospects, you know, power forward center that are taken at the top of the draft anymore. But in fantasy, that's a goldmine because all of a sudden you have plus rebounds, plus field goal percentages, blocks, you know, things that you're often not getting from some of the 
primary offensive initiators that are taken at the top of the draft, some of the wings that are taken at the top of the draft. When you're talking about Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith Jr., and Paulo Boncaro, you're talking about three guys who have extremely strong fantasy stat sets. Uh, in my projections, Chet looks like a top 10 fantasy prospect from the last de decade. And Jabari's not that far behind that, more like in top 20 in the last decade, Paulo in the top 30. Um, and it's, it's three extremely strong fantasy stat sets that I think will translate well to the NBA. If you landed one of those top three picks, do not trade out of it. That is the top tier of this draft. There are good prospects behind it. Uh, but it's what makes this class special. Now, this class is not 2021. Last year was extremely special, especially in fantasy. I would still take Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley over any of the players that are in this draft. But those three guys that we just talked about are right there behind them. Um, and they are going to be premium fantasy players for a long time. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like, I think that guys like Chet and Jabari in particular will end up being better fantasy guys than, say, Jalen Green as we move forward. Um, yeah, and it could be debatable even with Scotty Barnes. You know, he had a great season this season. But these guys, you, normally you see these guys at the top. You go, well, they've got a lot of potential, but yeah, their skill sets haven't translated just yet. We've got to sort of extrapolate stuff for a couple of years' time. You don't really see the guys, because I like to put their numbers and translate them across and say, how would they fit into a redraft setting? Where would they rank? And often you'll get these top guys at like 190 or you know 260 based on you know like a 28-minute uh, projection with no team context, which of course changes depending on minutes and all that sort of stuff when I actually go do the full projections. But this year it's like, okay, Jabari's 100 and Chet's 25. Like, hey, these numbers are crazy. Like, wh wh what are we doing here? So that is a real, um, yeah, that's all no context stuff, of course, but this is a, a really interesting, and then that's, you know, Daniels and Murray and Duran and Mark Williams and Tari Eason further down and, and uh, EJ Liddell. These guys have really interesting skill sets that make this a little bit deeper and a little bit more exciting for as a dynasty class versus what maybe their encore production ends up being as it's considered somewhat weaker than um, some of the other yeah, recent draft classes. All right, let's talk about guys who in the past have been high NBA draft picks, but really bad for fantasy. And we've seen them, you, know, you, you just said you've gone back and looked at your past lotteries and all that sort of stuff. Well, the name that really sticks out to me here is someone like Isaac Okoro, who was picked four in the draft. And people will head into dynasty rookie drafts and they'll go, well, Isaac Okoro, he was picked four. So therefore, I'll have to take him at five or six or seven or whatever in my dynasty rookie draft. But the numbers were terrible. Uh, the translations were terrible. The numbers have been terrible in the NBA. What do you do with those sort of guys where you know, you're sitting in an NBA a fantasy basketball dynasty rookie draft and you're seeing the guy who was pick three or pick four or pick five or whoever it is, but we know that the translations are really bad and we're not sure they're ever going to put up fantasy numbers. How do you deal with a player like that? How much, how much credence do you give to the NBA draft pedigree of the player where they were picked high and how does that boost up um, in your rankings? Or do you just be like, I'm not interested. Like for me, like a couple of years ago, DeAndre Hunter was the fourth pick, but I had him like 16th or something in my dynasty rookie or 12th or something really low behind a bunch of other guys because I just didn't see that complete upside. Now, apart from like a you know 10 game sample at the start of his second year, it's been pretty accurate. And same with Okoro, I had him down pretty low. How do you treat those guys who are picked high in the draft? But for us, from a fantasy perspective, it just looks like garbage. Yeah, so I, I always take the draft order as the baseline of what I'm doing. But immediately I'm going to start shifting players down below their draft slot, above their draft slot, based on their fantasy abilities and how 
it looks for them uh, as far as minutes early in their career in the landing spot that they've ended on a team. With someone like Okoro or this year, someone like A.J. Griffin, uh, you can have guys who just don't have a fantasy stat set. You know, Griffin is going to be a guy who might go in the top 10 of this draft. And when you look at the fantasy projection, he hits a bunch of threes and there's almost nothing else in the stat set that excites you. Um, there could be some ex- some reasons for that. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, he had he, It could also be kind of like we've seen with Kentucky players where he was on a stacked team and he just played a more minor role. But I think there's major red flags there. And when you have a player like that where you say, this guy's just not going to be good in fantasy. He's just not going to bring anything to the table. He's being drafted for reasons other than what I'm looking for as a, as a dynasty manager. You have to be willing to move them down. And you can't just default to taking players around their draft slot just because that's where NBA teams took them because their analysis is completely different than what ours is with that said it does matter if a player is taken higher if you go through any list of dynasty rankings fantasy basketball rankings and look where players were drafted yeah there are exceptions there's the Nikola Jokic's of the world the Fred Van Vliet's guys taking the late second round take undrafted entirely but overwhelmingly these guys are taken near the top of the draft for a reason and NBA teams have gotten much better at drafting than they were in the 90s the 2000s even in the early 2010s so I would say that you want to be able to start with that baseline of what the draft order is, because that is going to get you minutes and possibility of development for that player. It shows investment from the team, but you need to be willing to be able to adjust accordingly for fantasy stat set. And a lot of people in your league will not be doing that. They will not know the fantasy stat sets of these players. They were going to default to taking players around the area where they were taken in the draft. Yeah, that, that's true. And I think that's really important. And when you you come out with your dynasty rankings and when I put put mine out there, you have to realize that when you see a guy who was picked five and he's sitting at 11 or something like that, that's that's the reason that we have them down that low. You, you mentioned AJ Griffin. The other guys I have who are sort of in that in that group of perhaps being picked higher and not great at fantasy, I've got, I've got Johnny Davis in that group. I've got um, Benedict Matherin in that group as well as maybe guys who go a little bit higher in the real draft as opposed to where they go in dynasty would you agree with those or do you have other names that stand out now those are those are two that i'm a little bit lower on and it's just a profile of a player that does not usually translate as well to fantasy combo guards you know shoot three-point shooting wings Um, the nba values them extremely highly and they get taken higher than they should in dynasty rookie drafts for that reason they just don't have fantasy stat sets. I like Johnny Davis's rebounding, but other than that, he doesn't really hit three-pointers. The field goal percentage isn't that great. There aren't defensive stats. There's just not a lot to be able to cling to. Um, and with Matherin, it, it's similar. I mean, there's going to be scoring. He's a, he's a good three-point shooter. There's, he's going to be able to shoot with volume from three. But ultimately, there's not a whole lot else to be able to point to to be able to say this is going to be an above-average fantasy player. Um, and that's, that's really the point in the draft where I think it flattens out a little bit beyond that and where – these players could go in any number of spots in the real life NBA draft and also in your dynasty rookie drafts, uh, which is why I think it's so important to find the gems in the class that have those escalated fantasy stat sets like Atari Eason, um, like a guy that I love, Jake LaRavia, uh, who might go at the back end of the first round into the second round, but the fantasy stat set is excellent. It reminds me a lot of Franz Wagner last year, who was kind of viewed as a glue guy, maybe just a role player. But when you looked at the fantasy game, you immediately saw you were going to be getting contributions across five, six categories. Um, and that's why Franz came in and was almost immediately around a top 100 player, even though people thought of him not as that kind of guy in the draft 
We've seen it in the last couple of years that Anthony Edwards was, or even the last three years, Trey Young was terrible to start his NBA career. Like his fantasy stuff was terrible. People dropped him in redraft leagues, but then he, he picked it up. Anthony Edwards was bad for three months, and then he picked it up. Jalen Green was bad for three months, and then he picked it up. Um, in Dynasty, we're obviously having long-term views on these sort of players. So we're looking at these guys who who start slow. So first of all, who, who do you think is the number one candidate to be that really slow starter in this draft? To me, it's probably going to be Jaden Ivey. Um, well, I'll answer that part first, and we'll get to the next part. Yeah, Jaden Ivey is the obvious choice because what you just described are perimeter scorers who come into the league and immediately have to adjust to defenders who are far better than what they've ever dealt with with more length than they've ever had to deal with before and we've seen at the beginning of nba seasons that the nba puts an emphasis on allowing defenders to be able to put their hands on on uh, offensive players more to be more physical defensively we saw that at the beginning of this year and star players were struggling because of it and rookies were especially struggling now as that eases as the year goes on and we get into tanking season yes then you see the emergence of anthony edwards the emergence of jalen green the emergence of trey young in his rookie season um and i think we'll probably see something similar with ivy this year because he is extremely explosive athletically but he's going to need to be able to learn when to be able to use that speed how to adjust his timing and speed just the way that jalen green did this year jalen green was going at one speed at all times at the beginning of this year he figured out how to get to his spots as the season went on and i expect ivy to be similar now in terms of that these guys who start off so slowly how much do you see in all the dynasty leagues that you're a part of or that you manage and you oversee how much panic is there early on in the season and is that a i won't say market inefficiency but is it something where you go well, i know this guy's probably going to struggle early therefore i really need to hammer um getting in with trades on those guys early is there is there any panic associated with the people who picked you know anthony edwards and trey young and those guys picked them in the top four or top three of dynasty drafts do people start to panic at all do you see any of that through the october november period of their rookie seasons Absolutely. And we, we even have data to be able to show it. And that, that's been the beauty of this uh, ADP project that we've been doing over the last few years, because Anthony Edwards is a great example. When he was struggling early in his rookie season, he was all of a sudden dropping down to an ADP outside the top 100. And if you acquired him around that price, uh, you're now sitting on someone who's easily a top 20 dynasty player. Uh, and the change was only in a couple of months, but there was a moment where managers were panicking and everyone thought that all the worst things that people thought about Anthony Edwards were true and that he wasn't going to translate to as an NBA player. So I would always preach patience. I think you should come in with good process in how you evaluate these players in the offseason, and you should not jump off of those projections and predictions immediately when they struggle. You want to take in new information. You want to be Bayesian in your process. You want to make sure that you're not just locked into your take on a player, but you absolutely should not do a 180 on a prospect that you liked and that has good fundamentals in their in their pre-draft profile just because they struggle early on as a rookie. That's what rookies do. Darius Garland was the worst NBA player in the entire league in his rookie season by many metrics. You know, Jalen Green for a portion of the season was the worst player in the NBA this last year. And that's what rookies are, especially smaller guards. It is a completely new game for them, it's unlike anything they've ever seen when they get to the NBA, and they make that adjustment. They overwhelmingly will get to that point where they're able to get to the places that they want to on the court. And that's why you have to have patience. Absolutely. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about here, we're going to go through our top 10 for Dynasty rookies. 
Matt, I assume that we're going to have the same guy at number one. Number one to me is Chet Holmgren. What are you? Where are you at with that? Yeah, I, I think that Chet is without a doubt the number one pick. Uh, even as much as I like Jabari Smith Jr., and the reason is that he is essentially, if you took someone like Robert Williams and had him start shooting threes, and that's kind of as a baseline. Uh, Chet is going to bring you dominant big man stats and field goal percentage, rebounding and blocks. His rates there are outstanding. And he's a functional offensive player with upside beyond what he showed at Gonzaga. He played a smaller role behind Drew Timmy in his freshman season. But if you look at the prep film of Chet Holmgren, you see a guy who has a lot more ability on ball, ability passing than he was allowed to be able to show at Gonzaga. And I, I think the upside is even higher than people think. So yes, Chet would definitely be my number one. Yeah, to me, uh, there's no no point in overthinking that. Like to me, he's number one. I know people like, oh, he's not going to last. He's going to be a bust. He's going to get bullied. He's too small. You, uh, you have to pick him at number one. In any sort of dynasty draft, I think the upside there is just so. So this is a guy that you know when we're if we came back and did this next year, Matt, like we'd be talking. Maybe he's a top ten dynasty asset. Like at that point, like that's the, the level of yeah, skill set that's there. I'm going to guess that your next guys are Jabari Smith, then Paolo Banquero, and then Jaden Ivy. Is that accurate? That's right. I, I have uh, Jabari and Paolo as my clear two and three, a, a small bit of separation between them. Um, then I think the next tier is Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray. Uh, those two guys are where I where I think that the draft drops down a tier, but you still have good fantasy prospects. With Ivy, it's a little bit of projection because he didn't play a lead guard role in college. Um, the athleticism is awesome. People see John Morant when they watch Jay Nivey highlights, and it does look a little bit like that when he's dunking, but he's not John Morant as a prospect. He doesn't, he has like half of the assist rate of what John Morant had at Murray state. He doesn't bring anything to the table in defensive stats. The free throw percentage isn't that great. Uh, but the potential of what Jay Nivey could be with NBA spacing is pretty incredible. And like we talked about earlier, when you have that kind of athleticism, the ceiling is extremely high. So I, I do like Jaden Ivey and Keegan Murray just brings a just ready set nine cat stat set um you know the, it's really really good percent he's got good percentages he can hit threes he's a good rebounder he brings good defensive stat rates so I know everyone's worried that he's older but when you look at Keegan Murray you see a guy who is just built for nine category fantasy and that's something that I think will translate immediately as a rookie. Like he's three years older than Jabari Smith. So it's something, not something that we can completely ignore, but you're right. Like yeah, you might get, you get six or seven years of really solid production and the numbers are already there for him. So that's my top five as well. Holmgren, Smith, Bunkero, Ivy, Murray. And then the next five, I have um, Dyson Daniels at six, followed by Shaden Sharp. Who do you have six and seven? Yeah, so I've gone back and forth on this, but right now I'd have Dyson Daniels at six and Sharp at seven. With Dyson Daniels, I see a lot of kind of that prototype that we've seen with Lonzo Ball, uh, a little bit of Josh Giddy, um, and you know, a little bit of Tyrese Halliburton. These guys with great assist rates um, and who are going to immediately get assists coming into the NBA. But like Lonzo, Dyson Daniels has a great steal rate. And I think while the shooting is poor right now, like it was with Lonzo, uh, he showed a lot of improvement in that as the G League season went on. There's been a lot of buzz about his improved shooting uh, through the, the pre-draft process as well. I think he's going to get there. I would love to see him going to New Orleans and getting to be a replacement for what Lonzo was for them. Get with Fred Vince is one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA. Uh, I think that he could be an excellent, 
excellent fantasy player because he's six eight and he rebounds well too, just like the Ball brothers do. So there's there's a really good stat set there with him. And we've talked about Shaden Sharp. It's the home run swing. You could strike out entirely, or you could end up with a heliocentric offensive superstar. I don't know what it's going to be, but at that point, I'm willing to be able to take that swing once I get to seven. The next, the last three of the top tens, uh, eight, nine, and ten, are are interesting. Now I'm looking at mine and. We've talked about these guys a little bit. I have at eight, Jalen Duran. I have at nine, AJ Griffin. And then at 10, I have Mark Williams. Now, Griffin's numbers don't translate particularly well, but he's a really good shooter. So you've got good field goal, good free throw percentage. He's really young. Like he's not even 19 yet. So that gives, yeah, by the time, in three years time, he's going to be the same age as Keegan Murray at the end of, like, at the end of his rookie contract. That's where he is. So there's still plenty of upside there and the shooting is really impressive and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. So we hope that that's okay. And then it's the two big centers who, as we said, aren't necessarily going to be 30, 31 minutes at night players, but they probably don't need that to be impactful in fantasy and there's a chance that they both find themselves in really interesting spots. So I've got Duran, Griffin and Williams to round out my top 10. What do you have? Yeah, so like I said earlier, I'm a little bit lower on Griffin, but I completely agree that the age uh, gives him upside and and he was just a better prospect before he got to Duke. Uh, There was a lot of on-ball creation. Uh, He was highly touted coming in and he's had some injuries. So maybe that all comes back. So I I can see that upside. The guy that I would have in there along with Jalen Duran and Mark Williams is Jeremy Sohan. Uh, Sohan is really interesting because he is an excellent defensive player who can be switchable onto guards. but he also offensively has some passing and creation ability that hasn't been fully untapped yet. So it's not Draymond Green, but that's kind of the idea that he's going to be this excellent defensive player who also can help you offensively with his passing. Uh, What I like about it is that he is willing to shoot threes. He's not particularly good at it yet, but with prospects, especially big prospects, I want to see that they're shooting them. If they're not attempting three pointers, I don't think they are ever likely to have the confidence to shoot three-pointers. But the fact that he at the international level and also last year at Baylor was willing to take threes tells me that there's potential there that he could get to the point to being a three-point shooter. And uh, that makes him really intriguing to me. Yeah, I've got him at 11, so just just marginally out of that top 10. But I agree, it starts to get a little bit wacky around this area where there are multiple guys. There's probably you know, seven or eight guys to fit into four spots in this area. But yeah, that's that's the idea in, in Dynasty. We've got to take some, take some punts, take some chances, and try and get the guys in there that you think are going to succeed. Matt, success. The show recorded. We're all good. <laughs> you finally made your debut here on Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Again, give people a reminder where they can find you on social media. All right. You can find all of my content at at NBA Dynasty ADP on Twitter. Uh, there's a link in my profile to all of my resources. Um, and if you're interested in joining Fantasy Basketball International on our Discord community, just let me know and I'd be happy to send you that link. Go and check Matt out over there and join join up with Fantasy Basketball International. A great bunch of leagues over there as well. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.